The Old Testament reading for this morning is from Leviticus in the 24th chapter. And in these few verses, uh, the, the Lord has uh, given his people instructions through their priests on uh, how they should treat one another. It's uh, interesting that in this uh, particular passage, the, uh, the description within it of how to act applies not just to the people uh, of the promise, the people of the covenant, the Hebrews, but also it applies equally to those who are in their midst. And so I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Whoever kills any man surely shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor, as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. I would invite the choir to come forward at this time uh, to present this morning's anthem, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven home? 
The New Testament reading for this morning is taken from the book of Acts, from the seventh chapter, beginning at the 55th verse and continuing through the 60th. I prepared the bulletin this week, but obviously I didn't update it. It's the seventh chapter, verses 55 through 60. This is the conclusion of the dramatic story of Stephen's witness and the trouble that he gets into on behalf of telling it like it is. But filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they who were listening covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the axis on which the history of the world turns. Before this dramatic self-revelation of God in the flesh and the unparalleled demonstration of power that was strikingly shown in the vindication of the claims that had been made by his Messiah, the one who claimed to be the way and the truth and the life, after this, humanity lived in a different world, where before they had been slaves in a land of darkness on account of their sins. They're now living in the light of a new day and a new covenant. This gospel that we proclaim today is the very same as that which Stephen proclaimed in the very aftermath of these dramatic and historic and unprecedented events. And for his trouble as the author and first evangelist of the good news of God, Jesus had also experienced, Stephen also was killed. Stephen had been describing for those who would hear a message of peace, a message of righteousness, a message of grateful obedience to God and his new covenant. The powers and the principalities of the day were having none of it. To this day, this same message of good news continues to get under their skin because what Stephen spoke and lived then and what we are called to speak and to live today, these witness to a kingdom that the powers and the principalities don't own and they cannot rule. This kingdom works on principles that are contrary to the ones that have been used to retain their claim to and their hold on that power that intoxicates, the power that they wield oppressively oppressively over others, 
the power that they so desperately crave. They will go to great lengths to keep the balance of power in their favor. If it takes crucifying a failed Messiah, well, so be it. If it takes stoning to death those who continue to proclaim that message after his death, well, so be it. Whatever level of violence and suppression it takes, they have shown they're up to the task. They will stop at nothing to prevent their comfortable apple carts from being upset. Talk of the whole system being turned on its head is revolutionary in nature and extremely dangerous, treasonous even to speak of. But such is the kingdom of God. Historical rumor has it that at the surrender of his troops to the colonials at Yorktown, the event that decisively marked the end of hostilities during the American War of Independence, the British General Cornwallis ordered his musicians to play the tune The World Turned Upside Down. After all, how could it be, how could it possibly be that a ragtag army of colonists and their allies had managed to frustrate and ultimately defeat what had been, up until that time, the unrivaled military empire in all the world, the upside-down kingdom. That's also the fitting name of an award-winning book written by a theologian better than 40 years ago now that has sold over 100,000 copies. It describes just the sort of upside-down world that Stephen was a resident of and a participant in. Do not hold this sin against them. These were his very last words. Just as Jesus had uttered from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This sort of forgiveness for murderers is just not the sort of vengeance that this world calls for. Whereas before the coming of the new covenant, there had been a world of measure for measure, as the bard put it, where an eye was required for an eye. With the coming of Jesus and the new covenant, forgiveness is the new vengeance. We are to have Mercy as Christ had mercy on us. Yet still, to this day, we have honor killings. We have capital punishment committed, carried out by states and nations. Forgiveness of the most egregious sins committed against us is just not the sort of thing that is native to this world, but it is a gift that is offered to us from the world to come. It is a gift that is given to us as an advanced token of the world to come. This world which is even now ever so slowly seeping itself into this one that we inhabit. But it, was, it will continue to meet with dogged opposition from competing narratives. Case in point. This past week, I turned on the television. We must be getting a little stir-crazy in our quarantine if I turned on the television. Most of you know this is rather unusual, very unusual for me, as I rarely voluntarily sit myself in front of the tube. 
But as I was having a cup of coffee and an English muffin for breakfast the other day, I thought I would check in on the state of the, the global markets. And uh, as I did so, uh, of course, I did so just at the moment when there was no coverage of anything going on. There were simply commercials on, reminding me once again why it is I don't watch television. But perhaps it was on account of the fact that I'm already predisposed to having negative feelings for the medium. Uh, the message that these advertisers were sharing uh, just got under my skin. Maybe it's partially on account of the fact that I, like so many of you, are a bit out of sorts lately with all the restrictions and the infringements on our liberties, the likes of which we haven't seen in a very, very long time in this country. Or maybe it was a combination of all these things. But whatever the case, I found myself a bit more than cross. And this ad for a national pet store chain came on. Now, mind you, I have nothing against pets. We, we, we have lots of pets. All my life, I've had pets. But I understand that living with pets entails having supplies on hand of many different sorts to care for and look after them. Yet still, I found myself a bit triggered when at the close of this commercial, there was a tagline at the bottom of the screen that touted the fact that they would deliver if you so desired, and that curbside pickup was available at their stores, uh, but they wanted us to know that they were open on account of their designation as an essential service. Business as usual would go on, as it were, exempt from any of the forced closure rules that have been placed on so many other retail establishments and restaurants, other businesses and organizations which have been deemed to be less essential than a pet store. So there you have it. The powers that be have decreed that your DOG is more valuable than your G-O-D. And then came the ad from the government. <laughs> well, I suppose technically, because it comes from the federal government, it's not a commercial, but a public service announcement, but it's indistinguishable from a commercial. And my tax dollars and yours too contributed to the production of this message. It was through the Centers for Disease Control, and it was all about, as you might expect, COVID-19. Specifically, it was about ways to reduce the transmission of this potentially serious and even deadly disease. Now, the message was full of the sorts of things that we have been hearing from the government in the media over the past months related to fighting this pandemic. None of it was new or earth-shaking information. They just wanted to remind us once again of what we ought to be doing. But what was new to me, at least, was the way that the measures are being promoted in this government-sponsored message were completely, utterly at odds with the measures that are promoted by Jesus, our Lord and King. 
So we are told by the CDC, we should stay at home as much as possible, venture out into the world only when it is essential for your survival. Get food and milk, eggs, beer, and toilet paper if you can and if you must, but otherwise, stay put. Do not venture out. In the Gospel according to Matthew, the very last words which Jesus are recorded as having said to his disciples are contained in the final verses of that book where he says, Go! Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you, even to the end of the age, the government tells us. Wear a mask if you must go out. The authorities of this world remind us that in the name of public safety, We should all practice social distancing. Stay back, stay away, keep your distance, repeat loudly, unclean, unclean, unclean. Well, maybe that's not part of it yet, but it might be down the line, I don't know. But throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was frequently at work right in the middle of a crowd. There were times when he drew multitudes and many of them refused to social distance from him. We're told in the Gospels, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, the unclean. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, the religious authorities of the day, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Yuck! (laughs) Then... There was more advice, and it seems on the surface to be pretty commonsensical, if that's a word. It involved those who were showing symptoms of disease. We are advised that we should absolutely stay away. We should not allow ourselves to be around anyone who is sick. Shun them in the name of safety, as it were. With just three chapters, Before Jesus uttered the words of the Great Commission to his disciples, he had been teaching them about the kingdom to come. The kingdom that he would usher in. The upside-down kingdom. He explained there would be an accounting of all the people, and the king would place the sheep to one side, the goats to the other, and explain his actions in this manner Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And finally, the spot, the 30 or 60 second spot from the government concluded with an admonition to wash your hands frequently throughout the day with soap and water for at least 20 seconds at a time. As the old saying goes, cleanliness is next to godliness. But next to 
is as close as they want you to get. By all means, keep those hands clean, says the government. By all means, get your hands dirty in service to the kingdom of God, says Jesus. Yep, that about sums it up. Now, mind you, I am not arguing against a common sense approach to personal and public health. I'm not encouraging you to ignore the orders, the rules, and the regulations from those whose very difficult job it is to ensure the welfare of the citizens of this country, this state, this county. What I hope to do is simply illustrate yet another example of the voices of the powers and the principalities that are vowing for our allegiance and our obedience over and against that of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who continues to woo us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to hold fast, to be strong, and to be actively practicing the sort of discipleship to which we have been called. In retrospect, I suppose, this gospel, if you will, of the federal health authorities being so far afield from that of the gospel of faith shouldn't come all that great of a surprise, given the fact that the message of Jesus has been from the beginning, one of this world turned upside down. It's not practical advice that'll help us navigate the ways of this world, but it is rather a roadmap to navigating the kingdom of God. Welcoming the stranger, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, comforting the distraught, forgiving those who have wronged us. These sorts of things are revolutionary in nature, and they are not limited by circumstance. Unlike so many of our previously routine daily activities that have been ordered suspended or greatly altered during this time of global pandemic, the ordinances of God, they haven't changed. They haven't been modified. They haven't been put on hold. They remain fully in effect. Again, keeping these commands from God is likely to put us at odds with many in the world. Perhaps in these days, even more at odds than before. But we know that the Caesars of this world are no less subordinate to the King of Kings than we are. For as Stephen described so beautifully here in Acts, the Son of Man sits at the right hand of God in the heavens above. His reign includes the world and all that he created in and on it, including all of the powers and the principalities and including us, his people, a holy priesthood who are called by the name of the Most High and commissioned by him to live lives of sacrificial service and ultimate obedience in a world turned upside down. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.